Amen. First Samuel chapter number 30. If you found it, say amen. amen. Verse number 1. It's a very familiar passage of Scripture. And it came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag and smitten Ziklag and burned it with fire and had taken the women captives that were therein. They slew not any, either great or small, but carried them away and went on their way. So David and his men came to the city, and behold, it was burned with fire. And their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captives. Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives were taken captives. Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the wife of Nabal, the Carmelite. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. And David said to Abathar the priest, to Himelech's son, I pray thee, bring me hither the ephod. And Abiathar brought thither the ephod to David, and David inquired at the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue after this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue, for thou shalt surely overtake them. And without fail, Recover all. Amen. Isn't that a powerful passage of Scripture? Without fail, recover all. That's what I want to preach about this morning, is to recover all. Amen. I don't feel like letting the enemy have anything. If it belongs to me, he has no right to have any of it. Amen. Lord, I thank you for your people, and I thank you for your church. I thank you for your word, and I thank you for your anointing. Have your way, O oh God. Do a work of the Holy Ghost in this place. Not by power and not by might, but by your Spirit. Send a mighty anointing of the Holy Ghost into this place. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. amen. Give the Lord a good hand clap of praise as you're being seated. God bless you. Thank you for standing. The story of David is one of the most riveting of the ancient world. I would say that I have probably preached about David as much as any other character in the Bible besides Jesus himself. One of the most interesting and well-rounded people in all of history, he is a musician, a poet, a songwriter, a shepherd, a warrior, a king. He wears the ephod of the priest and he works also in prophecy. 
He possesses tremendous traits. And he also has some terrible weaknesses. He is the great hero in his own biography. Still, books are written about David. He also is the greatest villain in his own biography. He had moments of greatness that men only dream of. He defeats lions and bears and giants. He's got a coronation as a king. The maidens of Israel sing songs about him. But he also suffers terrible lows. His own son starts a civil war against him. He has a daughter who was raped by her own brother, leading these brothers to fight against each other, one killing the other. He loses a baby in the first few weeks of life. He is a man of contrasts. While he is a man after God's own heart, he also is a conspirator, an adulterer, and eventually a killer. He's a prophet. He's a king. But he also succumbs to the weakness of his own character. David is like every man, and in other ways, there's no one been like him in all of history. Such a wide range of stories about the life of David that almost everyone can find a little bit of themselves in his own story. David, at one point, spends about a year and a half as a fugitive from the wicked King Saul. He had already been anointed by Samuel to be the next king, and Saul resented and hated David for it. During a portion of this period of time, David was given the village of Ziklag as a refuge by the king of Gath. It was during this time that David and his army were gone from Ziklag, armed for war, raiding the surrounding area. They left their wives and children in the village of Ziklag while they were away at war. During this absence, the Amalekites came and captured their wives and sons and daughters and burned their homes. As the men approached home, they could see the smoke of the fires on the horizon. The closer they got, the more they understood that something terrible had happened. Until finally they arrive and see the burning, smoldering ashes of their homes. And as they look, they find that their wives and children are all missing. As anyone would be, they were overcome with grief. 1 Samuel 30 and 4 said that David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. As was customary in the ancient world, David had more than one wife. 
The Bible mentions his two wives at this time. Ahinoam and Abigail, both taken captive from Ziklag, both mentioned by name. Of all the hundreds of people that were taken captive, the wives of his 600 soldiers, plus their sons and daughters, the Bible only specifically names these two wives of David, Ahinoam and Abigail. The situation for David could barely be any worse. The Bible said in verse number 6 that David was greatly distressed. For the people spake of stoning him. Because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man, for his sons and his daughters. Because of their grief, they wanted to take out their frustration on David. But the Bible said, but David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. There will come a time in life when you will be all by yourself and you'll have to learn the art of self-encouragement. Amen. These men overcome with grief. David greatly distressed. Can I tell you that no one carries the weight of trouble more than the leader responsible for the people. The people were going through difficult times. But instead of being angry at the Amalekites, they turned their anger towards David, their leader. Here they are in great danger. Because though God sympathized with their plight, David was God's anointed. And God defends his anointed. He defends them against lions. He defends them against bears. He defends them against giants. He defends them against armies. And here, though they had a right to be sad, they did not have the right to rebel against God's anointed. And their talk was putting them at risk with God. They were very close to becoming the enemies of God and God's anointed. But David taught everyone a valuable lesson that day. David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. David could have said, okay, God, if that's the way they want to be, then go ahead and get them. God, if that's what they're going to do, then go ahead and get them. But David didn't say that about the people. And David didn't go looking for allies to get on his side. He didn't go looking for someone to feel sorry for him. He encouraged himself in the Lord, his God. He went to God and God alone. And it was from his relationship with God that he got the strength to keep going. Amen. Can I preach to you a little while today? In the Bible, names mean something. In today's world, people pick names because they like the way they sound or they, they're honoring some family member or whatever the reason may be. Some names I hear, I don't know what they were thinking. I think they must have uh, 
Why well, just don't think they were thinking at all? But that's not how it was in the Bible. Names meant something in the Bible. The meaning of the names of David's two wives in this passage are important because other than David, they're the only two names mentioned in the entire passage of Scripture. And also because they are the king's wives. Ahinoam, the name of the first wife of David, means my brother is delight. It means to find joy or pleasure in your brother or your brethren, your kinship or your tribe. It means to have good relations with the people that you associate with, your family, your spiritual family. Ahinoam is the delight and the pleasantness of your tribe or your brothers. Can I tell you, that one of the things that the devil would like to do in this modern time is to get the church to lose the pleasure of your brother, your kinship, and your tribe. Amen. Can I preach to you a little while this morning? One of the things the devil would like to do is get you to have no joy in the fellowship of your spiritual family. It's always been the devil's desire to isolate and divide God's people. He'll do anything he can. He'll use anything he can. He'll use anyone he can to steal the joy of your brother out of your life. He'll use your imagination. He'll use your emotions. He'll convince you of anything he can to get you away from the joy of being part of a spiritual family. Anything he can do to drive a wedge in your tribe, he'll do it because he wants to steal the joy of kinship out of the family of God. Can I preach to you today, my brothers and sisters? If you've repented of your sins, been baptized in Jesus' name, and filled with the Holy Ghost, we may not look alike, we may not talk alike, we may not act alike, but we're all the same spiritual family. We're the same tribe. It's not you against you and her against him and him against him. We're all one tribe. And if the enemy can steal the joy out of the tribe, then he's got one foot in front of you to stop you from your destiny. But I've come to tell you that even though the enemy may have stole the joy of your tribe, you can recover and get back the joy of your spiritual family. somebody say praise the Lord right now it's one of the great weapons of the enemy to destroy the joy of fellowship within the body of Christ Proverbs 16 and 28 said a froward man soweth strife and a whisperer separateth chief friends the ESV of the same verse says a dishonest man spreads strife and a whisperer separates close Friends, can I tell you, you got to be on guard for anything that the enemy wants to use to separate you from your brothers and your sisters. If somebody comes sowing discord and strife, don't listen to them. Amen. I've come to 
preach this morning. I've come to tell somebody, if somebody starts a conversation with I'm not talking about someone, but they're lying. They are talking about somebody. You need to shut the door on that conversation and you need to walk away from it. You cannot allow the enemy to steal the joy of the brotherhood from you. Amen. I'm going to preach a little while. Don't let the enemy steal your Ahinoham, the joy of the brotherhood. You have to fight for unity. Fight for your brothers and sisters. Don't fight your brothers and sisters. If it's not nice, uplifting, and encouraging, then don't say it. Just keep your mouth shut and move on. Let God handle it. You're not the judge of the world. You're not the arbitrator of everything. Just let God deal with it. Learning, learning to be, God help me. Learning to be quiet is a skill that would serve somebody good for the rest of their life. Proverbs 26 and 20, where, there, where no wood is, the fire goes out. Where no wood is, the fire goes out. But that's not the end of the verse. So where there is no talebearer, strife ceaseth. I'll take my golf clap as a sign that I'm preaching pretty good right now. I'm telling you, I'm telling you right now that if people would just quit talking about other people, the strife would go away. If you learn to quit talking about somebody else, that problem would die. You don't have to say amen, but I'm still preaching the truth. The, the, keep your mouth shut. Is that plain enough? Is that good enough? Yeah. Am I preaching the Bible? I'm telling you right now, the enemy wants to steal the joy of brotherhood out of the body of Christ. You've got to invest more in getting along with your brothers than you do in fighting with them. Several, many years ago, many, many years ago, I had a, a couple and they would come and man, they, we'd have three hour sessions. They, they just, I mean, it, it, it was, if they could think about it, they'd fight about it. And it was just on and on and on and on and on and on and on. I get so aggravated. Because out of the three of us, I was the only one trying to make it work. And I finally told him, I said, if you invested just a little bit of the energy in trying to get along, as you do in trying to fight with each other, you guys could have a happy marriage. But instead, you sit around waiting, trying to think of the response trying to think of a good comeback, trying to think of the next argument and accusation. And if you spent that time trying to think of a way to get along with each other, you can have a happy home. But no, you invest more in your strife than you do in getting along. I'm telling some people, you need to quit trying to think of an argument to come back and a good way to come back at somebody else. And you say, put it under the blood. I'm going to go on and have the joy of my brotherhood. You have to understand in the Bible, the Amalekites are some of the people who were a constant source of trouble for Israel. They appear in book after book of the Bible, always at war, always striving with God's people. In the Old Testament, there's not a really a primary role for the devil. 
you don't really see him after he shows up in the garden and he tricks Eve. He doesn't appear very often in the scripture, just a couple of times in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, it's like he's on every page. But he's not really mentioned that much in the Old Testament. No doubt he's there. There's references to him and to his work, but not like in the New Testament. In the New Testament, he's revealed as the primary source of evil. In the Old Testament, the devil used enemy nations to frustrate God's people. The Amalekites, the Philistines, and other enemies of God's people in the Old Testament are synonymous for what the devil does in the New Testament. What you see the devil doing in the New Testament is what God, what the enemy used the peoples, the Philistines, Amalekites, Amalekites, etc. in the Old Testament to do. This ancient enemy, the Amalekites, wanted to steal the joy of the brother, of the brother. It wanted to steal Ahinoam from David. It reveals a strategy of the enemy that people who are trying to separate you from your brother are acting like Amalekites. People who sow discord, division, who try to undermine unity are Amalekites in the spirit. And so David lost Ahinoam. And then he also not only lost the joy of the brotherhood, he also lost Abigail. The name Abigail means my father is joy or the joy of my father. It means to have gladness and rejoicing in your father. So not only does the enemy want to take the pleasure out of your kinship with your brethren, but he also wants to kidnap your joy in your heavenly father. He wants your gladness, your joy, your rejoicing to be taken out of your life. He wants to reduce church to ritual and habit and drudgery. He wants your soul to be dry and passionless and empty. He knows if he can get your joy that you are weaker for it. And so he kidnaps Abigail, the joy of your father, out of your life. Nehemiah 8 said the joy of the Lord is your strength. And so the enemy knows if he can take your joy, that he can make you weaker. And the weaker you are, the less victorious you will be. Joel chapter number 1 and verse 12 said the vine is dried up, the fig tree languisheth, the pomegranate tree, the palm tree also, and the apple tree. Even all the trees of the field are withered. What could possibly cause the entire harvest to die? Because joy is withered away from the sons of men. Because joy left, the vine dried up. Because joy withered away, the fig tree languished because joy withered away. The pomegranate, the palm, and the apple tree, and all the trees of the field have withered and died in the soil because joy is withered away from the sons of men. May I tell you that you do not have a harvest problem. You've got a joy problem. We do not have a revival problem. we got a joy problem. True revival will not come from fear of hell. I've had preachers come by. I've seen them preach hell red hot and get people stirred up for a few days. And by the time that preacher's gone, the people are right back where they were before. But you get somebody to really get filled with the joy of the Lord and they'll still be shouting a year from now, two years from now. Because there's something about joy that brings a harvest to the soul. 
if you're struggling with your harvest, what you ought to do is wave your hand and say, God, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. True revival is not going to come from dread for the future. Amen. You, we, I could open my news app right now and I could just read the headlines of everything that's going on in the world. Talk about all the, you know, all the, all the pundits are talking about how we're itching towards World War III because, because we're sending fighter jets to Russia and Patriot missiles and all, and, and all, and they just write all this stuff. And then, and then you read one news site and, and all the other side is bad. And you read the other news site and all the other ones are bad. And everything's a mess and everything. And you can, you can talk about the dread of the future all you want to, but that's not going to bring revival. What really brings revival is when somebody walks through the doors of the church and they feel a joy that comes not from whatever's going on out there, but something genuine in the heart. When they look around the room and they see people just like them dealing with the same problems they're dealing with and the same struggles they're dealing with, but instead of wanting to give up, their hands are up in the sky and they're praising God and worshiping God. That's the kind of joy that this world is looking for, not from a stock market, not from a business deal, not from a sports team winning, but a joy that comes because I know my Father and my Father is on my side. It doesn't mean everything in my world is good. It doesn't mean everything's going just how I want it, but it means that in spite of everything else, my Father visits me with His mercy and His grace and His love, and I'm not going to let the enemy steal my joy. The enemy wants to kidnap your Abigail out of your life. He wants to take the joy of your father out of your walk with God. He wants to turn it into a list of rules. I got to do this, 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 and this, or I can't be safe. I got to come here and do that and don't do that. And it wants to turn it. But what really happens is when you really get full of the Holy Ghost and joy down deep in your soul, it's nothing just to come in here and say, God, I thank you. I've had a rough week. But I thank you. Am I preaching anybody? It's anybody that had some struggles this week. But you came in the presence of God. And you felt the glory of God. And you realized the enemy didn't steal Abigail out of my life. Amen. Sometimes. Sometimes joy is lost because of sin. A heart issue. Psalms 51, one of the most powerful psalms in all of the scripture. Psalms 51 was not written at one of the high points of David's life. Psalms 51 is David's prayer of repentance. After he had committed adultery, conspired for murder, and he watched as an offspring of his and another man's wife died a painful death in the first few days of the baby's life. David was broken. And Psalms 51 is David's prayer of repentance before God. Part of that prayer begins at verse number 9. Hide 
thy face from my sins and blot out all mine iniquities. God, cover my sins. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. God, I need you to touch my heart and I need you to help me have a right spirit. Cast me not away from thy presence. God, don't walk away from me now. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. I can't make it without you. And then he says these words, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. David knew that he was in that condition because of his own actions. But he also knew that he had a heavenly father up above that was willing to bring him back and to restore his joy. Can I tell you, it doesn't really matter what all you've done wrong. It doesn't really matter how long the list of your faults and your failures are. If you'll come to God and say, God, forgive me for my sin. Create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit and restore the joy of thy salvation. Amen. Praise God. We had, if you watch the if you watch the uh, the morning show, you know we had a group of young people who went to Israel, and you know we did a whole lot more than pray and visit sites. One of the sites we went to, Bishop, was the tomb of David. The tomb of David is in the room right below the upper room. And so if you think about, about this, the, the, this, the upper room, it's a two-story building. And the bottom floor has the tomb of David. And in that room, it's actually a synagogue. They've turned it into a synagogue. They go in and they, they have it divided, men on one side, women on the other and they go in and they pray. And they pray before God at the tomb of David. And here is David, this, this man who had committed adultery with Bathsheba, conspired to have her husband Uriah killed in battle. He sends by Uriah's own hand an order. He writes out, put Uriah in the worst part of the battle wherever it's the most violent. And when you get him right in the middle, then have everyone pull back. And so Uriah will die because David is wanting to hide the fact that he has committed adultery with Uriah's wife. And so he writes it out. He rolls it up and he seals it. And he puts the order in Uriah's own hand. And Uriah takes the order to the commanding officer and the commanding officer reads it, and he sends Uriah to the hottest part of the battle. And when the battle is raging, everybody pulls back and leaves Uriah by himself. And Uriah dies that day. That is David. And in the bottom floor of this two-story building is the tomb of an adulterer and the tomb of a murderer. The tomb of a man who disobeyed God. But a man who knew enough 
to come back to God and say, God, I've done wrong. I've done about as bad as anybody can do. But God, if you'll create in me a clean heart and you'll renew a right spirit within me, don't take the Holy Spirit from me, but restore the joy of thy salvation. And David gets his heart right with God. And the Bible said that David was a man after God's own heart. A man that learned that no matter how far away you've been, you can come back and God will restore your joy. And so, and so David, David, one of the last things he writes is, my soul shall rest in hope. And on Mount Zion, David's buried in a tomb. And centuries go by. Generations go by. And in that tomb, the bones of that man that had been so far from God but found the restoration of joy is laying there. The bones laying in a tomb. When just about Acts chapter number 2, while that, bone, those, that, 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 that coffin full of bones is laying in that bottom floor, just above, there's a group of about 120. And they are praying for the Spirit of God to be poured out. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord and in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled all the house where they were sitting and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire and it sat upon each of them and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance and lying on that first, on that bottom floor, up staring up at the ceiling where the Holy Ghost was poured out, where the Spirit of God was poured out. And when Peter says, the, he says, look, the bones of David are with us to this day. Here they are right here. But he rested in hope that the Spirit would be poured out. Amen. A man that was so far from God. A man that had done so much wrong. But he found out that God is a restorer of joy. Woo, hallelujah. Back a couple of years ago, three or four years ago, I had a pastor in, a pastor contact me. And he said, Brother V, I need you to do me a favor. He said, my son-in-law and my daughter are having some problems. And it's too close to me. I can't, I can't deal with it because, because it's my family. And, uh, and, and I was wondering if you could meet with my son-in-law and talk to him. And so I made arrangements. I drove over to where they were. And I met the guy at a restaurant. And as I sit at that restaurant, this man began to tell me, how many things he had done wrong and he's going down the list of all the failures and what he did to his wife and family and how he messed up his reputation and he messed up his name and he's sitting at that table and he's crying like a baby at everything that he had lost and all the stuff that he had broken and all the stuff that he had ruined and I'm sitting across the table and I'll be honest with you I'm praying myself and I'm saying in my mind, I'm saying, God, I don't know what to tell this man. God, I don't know what to say to him. 
He's ruined his family. He's ruined his marriage. He's hurt his wife. He's destroyed his relationship with his children. He's ruined his reputation. God, I don't know what to tell this man. I don't know what to say. And the Holy Ghost, if he ever spoke to me, the Holy Ghost spoke to me at that restaurant. And he said, tell him if I poured my spirit over the body of David the adulterer that I'll pour my spirit on him again and restore him. I've come to tell somebody, you may not have done what that man did, but if you've done anything, God wants to restore your joy. He wants to pour his spirit over your life. Isaiah 12 and 3, therefore with joy shall you draw water out of the wells of salvation. Paul told the Philippian church, Philippians 4 and 4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. That word always, in Philippians it means every win. Every win. When things are bad, Every win. When things are dry, every win. When I don't feel like it, when I've been, when I've been in trouble, when I've made mistakes, when my life is falling down around me, when I run out of money, when I get a bad doctor's report, when things don't go my way, when things do go my way, when should I rejoice? He said, every win. Rejoice in the Lord always. All the time, at all time. Why rejoice? Because the apostle knew that joy was the key to your harvest. You got to have joy if you want to keep going with God. And David inquired, Psalms 30 and 8. I feel like, you know what I feel like? I feel like I'm born you. But I also feel like I got to shake some people loose. 1 Samuel 38, and David inquired at the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue? Is that, look, look at that. David inquired. What's it say? What does it say? At the Lord. Saying, Shall I pursue after this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue, for thou shalt surely overtake. Thou shalt surely overtake them. And without fail, recover all. Young's literal translation of verse 30 and 8, the first phrase, David asketh at Jehovah. I don't want to, I don't want to drag this out too long. But the Bible says that David inquired at the Lord, not of the Lord. Young's literal translation says, David asketh at Jehovah, not of Jehovah. It's a subtle difference in inquiring at or of. You can inquire of the Lord from anywhere, but you can only inquire at the Lord if you get in his presence. 
You can inquire of the Lord no matter where you are. But you can only inquire at the Lord once you've stepped into his presence. And when they were talking about stoning David, David didn't just say, God, he didn't say, Lord, I need you to talk to me from over there. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. He got himself in the presence of God. And when he got in the presence of God, he was able to say, Lord, what do I do? And God said, pursue, for you will recover Oh, there's some breakthroughs in your life that only happen when you get in the presence of the Lord. Amen. There's sometimes you got to press yourself into his presence. When you don't feel like it, keep praying. When you don't feel like it, keep praising him. Keep worshiping him. Because once you step into his presence, all things fall into place and God begins to work. I've come to tell somebody, you need to quit inquiring of the Lord and start inquiring at the Lord. Pursue. Everybody say pursue. For you shall surely overtake them and without fail recover all. Carson, you told me something in the prayer room Wednesday night. said you get what you preach if you preach joy you get joy preach Holy Ghost you get Holy Ghost that's why I'm preaching it today because I'm trying to get someone to pursue it if you pursue the things of this world you'll get worldliness if you'll pursue your own will you'll get carnality but you will never get a walk with God if you don't pursue a walk with God you got to go after it. You'll never get the joy of your tribe back if you don't go after it. And you'll never get the joy of your father back if you don't go after it. David, you can sit there all you want to and suck your thumb and cry about how things went wrong. But Ahinoam and Abigail are not going to break away from the enemy and come walking back to you. You can sit there and cry all you want to. You can whine about it. You can point your finger at all these people that want to stone you. And you can whine and bellyache about it all you want to. But Ahinoam and Abigail are not going to walk back to you. If you're going to get them back, you got to get up out of where you are and you got to pursue it. you got to go after it. Can I tell somebody, if you've been struggling in your joy of the Lord, you need to get up right now and you need to get pursuing the joy of the Lord. I want my joy back. I want my anointing back. I want my joy back in my heart. You got to go after it. You got to go for it. You can't. It's not going to come to where you are. You can't wish your way to it. You can't hope your way to it. You got to push your way. You got to pursue it. You got to go for it. You got to go after it. I've come to tell somebody you need to shake yourself loose and pursue after a hit and Abigail. I want my relationships back. Stand with me. You won't catch what you don't pursue. God said pursue. God said pursue. He inquired at the Lord and God said go. For you're going to get it back. And without fail you recover all of it. God didn't send angels. I'm trying to... I'm trying to drive this point home. 
God didn't send angels to go get Abigail and Ahinoam and bring them back to David. No, no, no. God didn't send another army to have to go after them. He said, David, if you want them back, you got to get up and you've got to pursue. You got to put one foot in front of the other and you got to work till you get your wife and your other wife back. You got to go until you get the joy of your brotherhood and the joy of your father. You got to get up and if you got to cross rivers, then you just got to cross rivers. And if you got to climb mountains, you just got to climb. Let me tell you, if all I had to do was clap my hands to get in the presence of God, I'd clap my hands. If I had to shout, I'd shout. If I had to wave my hand, whatever I had to do to get it back, that's what I'd do. I wouldn't sit back and say, well, it don't take all that. I wouldn't stand back and say, God, if you'll send somebody back here to me, if you'll send an evangelist back here to lay hands on me, if you'll get somebody to come and, t- and lay their hand on, then I'll, no, you got to pursue it. It's not my job to go to you. It's your job to go to God. you got to inquire at the Lord. There's a self-responsibility. You can stay where you are for the rest of your life or you can pursue and give back the things that you lost. otherwise seem impossible because as David was pursuing he comes across an Egyptian this young man was part of the Amalekite troop that had burned Ziklag he admitted as much to David the young man after raiding Ziklag had taken sick and because he was sick he couldn't keep up so they left him behind gone three days without food and water the Egyptian told David we burned Ziklag and then we ran off David said can you tell me where they are and he says I can God used one of their enemies as the vehicle for them to get all their stuff Listen, when the enemy, when David went upon the enemy, the Amalekites were dancing and drinking and partying. The Bible said they were strewn about. They were laying around. They had had the party of all parties because they had stolen joy from God's people. Your enemy rejoices when he gets you to turn and walk out without engaging in a worship service. I got their joy tonight. If he can get you separated from your brothers, 
makes him party. He gets a hint of him. He, oh, he loves it. He loves it when he can get you separated from your tribe. Oh, he loves it when he can get you to lose the joy of your father. But what the enemy doesn't know is that God has a plan all along for you to get your stuff back. As your eyes are closed all over this place. I wonder if somebody would lift their hand to heaven and say, God, I need a restoration. God, I need a restoration. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to give the Holy Ghost a moment to stir somebody up. He doesn't want you walking out of here regretting what's missing. He wants you to pursue because without fail thou shalt recover all. Bible said that David smote them from twilight until the evening of the next day. As the sun was going down, one day he slew them all night and all the next day until the sun went down the next day. There escaped not a man of them, save 400 young men which rode upon camels and fled. And David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away. And David rescued his two wives. And there was nothing lacking to them. Neither small nor great. Neither sons nor daughters. Neither spoil nor anything that they had taken to them. David recovered all. Hallelujah. David recovered all. As your eyes are closed all over this place. Is there anybody here who knows that you need a recovery? Maybe a Hinoam, the joy of the brothers. Or maybe Abigail, the joy of my father. But you know you need a restoration of joy. Why don't you step out and come to this altar right now and lift your hands to heaven. Well, don't, don't be slow and don't be shy. Pursue, for thou shalt recover all. I'm coming after it, God, because your word told me to coming after it, God, because I want my joy back. Oh, come on, in Jesus' name, can you help me pray all over this place? Come on, I'm pursuing, I'm coming after it. I'm not content to let the enemy have my joy and my peace. 
I'm not content to let the enemy just control my thought process and keep me depressed and discouraged. I'm coming back for my joy in Jesus' name. open your mouth all over this place. You ought to pursue. I'm coming after it. I'm coming after it today. I'm coming for my joy and my peace. I'm coming for my restoration. God, I want to recover all. Come on. You ought to help somebody pray. saying, God, I'm pursuing it. Whatever I got to do, I'm coming after it. Come on, y'all to lift your voice. Y'all to lift your voice. God, I pray that we lay aside worry and anxiety and stress right now. And I pray, God, that we pursue the joy of the Holy Ghost. Come on, it's here right now. In the name of the Lord. Come on, sing something. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody ought to lift your voice and say, I'm coming after it. In Jesus' name. God, you said it's mine and I want it. God, you said it's mine and I'm getting it.
with somebody close to you. I want you to pray for a restoration. I want you to ask the Lord to touch them. That's right, pray one for another. God, I'm asking you for a restoration of your anointing. Oh, come on, the Holy Ghost is moving here. Amen, for those that need it, this is your moment.
you've been looking for for a long time. It's come to you today. God's done some restoration. If, you, if you're a witness of that, wave your hand to the Lord and thank Him for it right now. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Don't forget our guest for the meet and greet. We'd like to invite you back there to the leadership. Meet them in the discipleship room. Let's meet back here tonight for prayer. Six o'clock. God's going to move in a special way. You believe that? Say amen. Father, we thank you for the presence of your spirit. We thank you for the word that we've heard today. Let it not just enter our ears, but enter our hearts, God. Renew and restore the joy of the Lord in our hearts. We'll thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. God bless you. This is the